Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, please strike this people with blindness. And so he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. You know, this is an illustration that we see here of one aspect of what we've been talking about these last five weeks as we're talking about the armor of God. There's a war that's raging, folks. A war that we don't even see. It's a war that consists of, as our text in Ephesians and verse 12 speaks of, back to the Ephesians passage, if you'll turn back there, verse 12 says it's not a war of flesh and blood, but against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. One of the pastors that I have referenced and quoted in our study, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, used this example, example in his commentary a few times. I referenced it one, but let me remind you. He said something like this. He says, how is it that when you are in the middle of praying, when you're reading your Bible or in the middle of something that you're, uh, something that you're doing when you're communing with God, and then all of a sudden, right in the middle of that, some horrific, blasphemous, perverted type of thought just pops in your head. Where does that come from? His point is to say that there is a war that is going on. Yes, one that is rooted and one that we struggle with on the inside, one that, is, uh, that comes from our sinful natures enacted by our sinful choices, yes. But there is also there are nefarious influences in our life that we don't even see. And so we need to be wise and we need to see what kind of battle is it is that we are fighting today in this battle we live every day called life. It's a both and type of war. It's inside, but it's also raging from out. I mean, there's these nefarious cosmic evil forces raging against us. Again, as I have quoted every week, the old pastor is right when he says to us here, but most people do not believe that we, are, uh, people believe in their heart that life is war. Most people show by their priorities and their casual approach to spiritual things that they believe we're in peacetime, not in wartime. In wartime, you know what? We're on alert. We're armed. We're vigilant. But what have millions of Christians done? They have stopped believing that we are in a war. There's no urgency. There's no watching. There's no vigilance. There's no strategic planning just easy peacetime and prosperity. And I hope that that, that, that thing, I, every week I quote it and you're like, enough. But I hope that you never forget it. Because we, as believers, have got to wake up. There is a war that's going on. This is not peacetime. And we fight this war until the day that we're with Jesus. And it doesn't matter what age you are, whether you're 18 or whether you're 118, it doesn't get any easier. It's a war. Verse 11, it's a war that we're asked to, in verse 11 there, to stand up against the schemes of the devil. Which, by the way, can I encourage you and remind you again this morning, we can do. Why? Because verse 11 says that we have been given the whole armor of God. It's the whole. It's sufficient. And it's not armor that we make up. It's given from God. He's the source. That was week number one we looked at all of this. Two, week number two. 
Listen, you might be discouraged here this morning. You might even be defeated spiritually. Maybe you're sitting here and you spiritually just feel numb. Maybe you're emotionally numb or physically you just feel like you can't go anymore because we talked about how this affects all of us. Emotion, immaterial, material part of us. This war that we fight is just so interconnected beyond that we even know. Please be encouraged through the scripture that we have here. Verse 10 says that you can be strong. How? Through the strength of God's might and power, not your own. Aren't you thankful for that? Here's the good news. You can stand because God enables you to stand. He helps you to stand. It's not a fight that you, or a war that you fight your own or on your own. Here's the good news. Jesus has already won the war. We're just fighting these skirmishes along the way. We have these daily battles, yes, that we fight until we're with Jesus. But here's some more good news. God gave us all of the tools, all of the weapons we need to be able to stand, to not surrender while we wait for that day with Jesus, as I just said. Just be encouraged with all of the truth that's in, this cha- in these nine verses or so, ten verses. If I, we think through what we've learned so far, what we've been taught so far, remember he gave us the belt of truth in verse 14. That is, we can know and believe truth when lies are trying to push us over, trying to make us retreat. He gave us the breastplate of righteousness in verse 14 as well. That is, when the evil one attacks, takes those lies, uh, those untruths, and he attacks our mind, our will, and our emotions. Jonathan Edwards calls it the affections, right? When he attacks our affections and all these things, and he tries to get us surrender. When the evil one says, oh, you're not good enough, you know what we can do? We can reply to him and say, you're right, I am not good enough. But Jesus is. Jesus is good enough. And so he gave me his righteousness. And so I know, I know that despite what you tell me or how I feel or what emotions I have and what you're tr- whatever you're trying to mess with, Satan, the evil one, I can stand because I'm unaccused. I can stand right with Jesus and be right with Jesus. And then last week we looked at the third piece, and that was the shoes of readiness. Verse 15. Shoes of readiness, they come because of the gospel, they come out of the gospel of peace. That is, we're not enemies with God. We are at peace with him, and so we're able to stand sure-footed. We don't have to be distracted at what God thinks about us. We don't have to wonder if God loves us. We don't have to wonder if we ever please God. We don't have to stand unbalanced, distracted by that. Why? Because we're at peace with God. We're no longer the the object of, uh, objects of his wrath. He's not angry with you. And today, we look at the next piece that's mentioned there in verse 16. Look at verse 16 with me. And this is, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And so today, the title of the message is, that was the slide right before this, is the shield of faith. And so I want to look at this. And remember, it's a visual metaphor, right? So we have this metaphor. So we look at this, and the first question we ask ourselves is, what is it? What is this shield that Paul speaks of? Well, there are a few different words for shield in the Greek language. And the word that's used here comes from the word door. D-O-O-R, door, like literally the thing you walk through, right? In the warfare of biblical times, in ancient warfare like this, A&E warfare, generally speaking, there were two types of shields. There was a small shield 
used in close-up action, like hand-to-hand type of combat. And then there was the larger shield, measuring sometimes and a lot of times about four and a half to five feet tall and wider than the soldier's body. So it's a pretty wide. I, when, literally what I think of is this pulpit. I mean, a pretty large shield. It's that word for the large shield that Paul uses here. Okay, which makes me wonder then, why does he use that word and not the other word? Why does he, there's, I think, two or three other words for the smaller shield. Why does he use the big word that literally comes from the word door? So to understand this, we need to understand what the different shields were used for. All right? What is this thing? Again, we're trying to answer that question. As I said, the lighter one was more easily maneuverable, generally used in close hand-to-hand combat. It did not provide protection for really much of the body at all. Just think about that ancient warfare, okay? Think about swords. Think about javelins, spears. Think about arrows and stuff like Just think, uh, just think the War of Five Armies. There you go. All right? Think of the, the, the uh, Hobbit, not the Hobbit, the Lord of the Rings series, right? Think of warfare like that. So a small shield, it does some good, but it didn't provide protection for really much of the body. But then there was this big one, the one that was almost like the size of the door. And this one provided more protection, obviously, for the soldier. Okay? So we have these two different shields. What is, what is it talking about here? It's talking about the larger one. Well, okay then, what is it used for? Well, I'm glad that you asked. This was especially helpful at certain stages or kinds of battle. Oftentimes, an initial wave of attack, either offensively or if you were def- defensively, if you're defending yourself from the attacking enemy, the initial wave of attack came from an aerosol. Arrows. Because you, if Nick and I are fighting, okay, and we both have swords, we have to be within the length of the sword to even be effective. If he stands where he's at right now, and I stand where I'm at right now, and we swing swords, it does no good. And if we have a sword that that's long, we probably are not going to be able to pick it up, right? So the first wave of attack would be, I'm here, right, and I see Jameson back there, and I have a bow and arrow, and he doesn't. Guess who wins? As long as I has a decent shot and I can hit him, I'm going to win. So the first assault was always that longer, like, air, air assault, right? We get that. The arrows would fly, obviously, in an attempt to kill or at least to wound the oncoming uh, attackers. Now, there were different types of arrows as well. Some were the regular arrows that we all know about, but then there were others that were dipped in pitch, and then they were lit on fire, literally flaming arrows. If we go back to our verse here, it talks about extinguishing all the flaming darts of the evil one. Don't think darts as in you're in a, uh, you're, you're throwing darts at that little round thing like that, those little things. This is talking about arrows here, covered in pitch that they had lit on fire and then launched. And so the large shield was used and effective because the soldier could completely hide behind the shield. That's the point. No matter what the arrow was, the soldier was, a, was protected from the assault. Because obviously, right, he couldn't behind, hide behind the small shield. Well, you could. But let's just say 
back, Jameson's back there, and he has a bow and arrow too, and he gets his brother Brandon, and he's like, okay, you aim high, I aim low. Guess what? They're going to win because I have a small shield, and I only can protect high or protect low. I can't do both at the same time. So Paul, the shield that he's talking about, he's, he's talking about the large shield that a soldier should, get this, that the soldier could literally hide behind. It was this, what made it effective, was that they could hide behind it, these, verse 16, these flaming darts. Now, enough with the history lesson, right? right? Third question, what in the world does this mean? Okay, what does it mean for us as believers? Why, why does Paul employ this metaphor? And I think you're starting to see it. As our text says, it is a shield of what? It's a shield of faith. And just as the soldiers were attacked, they would hide behind the shield, meaning that when we as believers are trying to stand to not retreat, when, when those different nefarious uh, evil forces, they, they put those thoughts in our head or they attack our emotions and say, hey, you're not good enough or you don't feel good that day or, or, or something's off or whatever, and he wants us to retreat. He wants to, to wound us, to hurt us, to kill us spiritually. Because remember, First Peter says that he is a lion trying to devour us. He has no good intentions. He's not our friend. And so when that is going on, when we're trying to stand, when we're attacked, what do we need to do? We need to literally hide behind the shield. That's what we're to do with the armor of God. We need to put our whole selves behind the shield. We need to put our minds behind it. We need to put our emotions and, and, and all of this works together along with the breastplate. We need to put ourselves all behind the shield so that way we are safe and that we're unharmed. Now, when he says, or when the text says a shield of faith, there are two aspects to this. First, when we look at it, we could think that it says the shield of faith. We could think that it's talking about our faith. So you put up on the shield your faith. That's what it looks like. That's what it might look like at first. And I submit to you that I don't think that's what it's talking about here to a large extent. Here's what I mean by that. There, again, there's two aspects of this. It says to us there in verse number 16, it says, in all circumstances, what do we have to do? Next two words say we have to take up. So there is, to some degree, right, we have to take up or we have to put up the shield, meaning we have to believe that the shield's going to work. Because if we don't believe the shield's going to work, we're not going to take it up. Captain Obvious, right? So we have to, by faith, believe or trust that the shield's going to work. But I don't think, so, so we have to do that. But I don't think that that's specifically what Paul is emphasizing here. I think what he's emphasizing is that we have to is that the emphasis is not on us taking it up, which we have to do, but the emphasis is on the armor, which is the shield. So the question is, what does he mean? What's he talking about when he talks about the shield? And I believe what he's teaching us here, what Paul is do doing is, is emphasizing that the shield is God himself. Here's what I mean. Notice this language all throughout the Bible. Psalm 28 and verse 7 says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exults and with my song I give thanks to him. What does he say there in that verse? He says, God is the object of his faith. In other words, God is his shield. Deuteronomy chapter number 33 and verse 29 says, Happy are you, O Israel, 
who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your faith. Your enemies shall come fawning at you and shall tread, um, the, or the shield of your help, as one other translation, coming upon you and, and, and you shall tread upon their backs. You see, God says here again, metaphorically, he uses this language that God is their shield. He is the one who wins the wars for them. God is their shield in Psalm 115 and verse 9. Oh, Israel, trust in the Lord. Put him up. He is their help and their shield. Friends, God is the shield. So what I think Paul is doing here is he's pointing to the one in whom they should trust, that the object of their faith this is the shield who is God himself. There are many other places, but there's one other place that I want to point out to you, and that is in Genesis chapter 15 in verse number 1. Um, there is a really specific name there. It says there, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, and he said this, fear not, Abram, I am your shield. God says to Abram here, I am your shield. When he says, I am your shield, that is another name for God. It's one that we don't talk about a lot. It's Jehovah Magain. We've heard of Jehovah Nisi. We've heard of Jehovah Jireh, these things. This one, I am your shield, it's Jehovah Magain. This is another name for God, meaning he says to Abraham, Abraham, you need to hide behind me. You need to trust in me. Your faith needs to not reside in yourself. You've got to trust me enough to hide behind me, but I want you to hide behind me. God is the shield. He is the one in whom we put our trust. It's not our faith. We do have to put our trust. Uh, it's not our faith that we put our trust in. It's not us using our willpower and saying, oh, I got this. I can do it on my own. Yes, we do take it up, but we have to trust the shield, not ourselves. Listen, if you think about it, if the shield was yourself, if it was your own faith, how would that go? How would it go when you're doubtful? You ever doubt? How, how would it go when your faith is weak or when you don't really functionally believe that day in God or that time in God? How would that go for you? You go ahead and base your life and try to fight this war out of the power of your own personal faith, it will never go well. You'll always be defeated. You'll always, be you'll always retreat. You'll be depressed. You wonder what the world's wrong with you. It won't work. You see, the shield has to be who God is and what his promises are. That's what Paul's pointing to. That's the shield of faith. Now, the fourth question that we need to ask ourselves then is, what does this practically look like, all right? So let me kind of, let me put this together and, and, and kind of put some of these pieces together and talk you through this so that way you're like, oh, okay, I, I can see, I, I'm going to, I faced something last week, I get what that means, all right? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about different things that we face in life. What happens when you're facing the arrow, the flaming dart of fear? We hide behind God in his promise of 2 Timothy. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Maybe you facing the arrows when you were a kid of abuse. Maybe you grew up with a parent that, you, that didn't love you like they should have loved you as a parent. What do you do with that? You hide behind Psalm 27 and verse 10 that says, even if my mother and my father abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. You may face the arrow of false accusation. What do you do? You hide behind the shield of Isaiah 54 and verse 17 that says, but in that day, uh, no weapon turned against you will succeed. 
you will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. The benefits are enjoyed by the servants of the Lord. Their vindication will come from me. I, the Lord, have spoken. What about the arrow of anxiety? None of us faces that one, right? You hide behind Philippians 4, verses 7 through 9, which says, when you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that you can understand, his peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about those things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all that you have learned and received, everything that you've heard and saw him doing. Then the peace of God will be with you. That verse can't explain it better. You put all of it together. You hide behind the shield. You have that breastplate of righteousness on that protects against the affections that are our emotions that are constantly being bombarded. We have those, those uh, because we're at peace with God, we don't have to wonder about our relationship. We can be sure-footed. They can stand firm. We have all of these things, the belt of truth, in other words, we know truth. We know that that's a lie. That's not true. God does love me even though it doesn't feel like it. That's how all of this works together. We remind ourselves. We put into practice what we have learned so that way we can stand. Now, what do you do when you face betrayal? Psalm, you hide behind Psalm 41 verse 19, even my best friend, the one I trusted completely, the one who shared my food has turned against me. Psalmist recognizes that. I know you are pleased with me, for you have not let my enemies triumph over me. You, God, have preserved my life because I am innocent and have brought me into your presence forever. The psalmist says, you know what, I hurt. I hurt because I was betrayed by someone who I loved and said they loved me. But you know what the psalmist says? He says, you know what, God, you're going to preserve me because you know that I'm innocent. He doesn't hide behind the faith of himself. He doesn't, hi he doesn't hide behind his knowledge that he is innocent. What does he do? He hides behind the unshakable, impenetrable shield that is God. And friends, you're going to have all of these flaming types of, of arrows, and you've experienced it in your life. You're going to have arrows of disappointment, arrows of rejection, Arrows of change, arrows of jealousy, arrows of lust, arrows of criticism come at you all the time. And what do you do? You hide behind the shield that is God. You got to pick up the shield, but you got to hide behind God, the shield that is God. In other words, you have to hide behind the truth of who he is. You have to hide behind his promises. That's what I believe Paul is teaching us as believers here. And you know... Fifth question that we have, or the fifth point is, what happens when you stand behind that? You know what happens is, Ephesians 6, verse 11 through verse 14, it says, put on, the whole, on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand. You know what happens? We can stand. We don't have to retreat. We don't have to give up. We don't have to give ground. We can stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For, if we are not fight, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of this unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Verse 13, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Verse 14, it says at the beginning, stand your ground. 
Brothers and sisters, if you hide behind God, his promises, in other words, who he is, his character, what makes him him, and if you hide behind his promises, these things, guess what? You'll be able to stand. Do you want to know how to fight that battle that you did this last week? You look back at it and you say, I didn't do really well. Guess what? We're human. Don't beat yourself up about that. We're going to fight battles and we're going to lose battles. These temporary battles. But can I just encourage you that the war is over and Jesus has won and someday he's going to look at you and he might say, you knucklehead. But he's going to say, he's going to say, well done. I hope you're looking forward to that day. And until that day, stand. Church, we can stand. You believe it? I hope you do. Because he gave us the whole armor of God. It's easier said than done, but we can. Let's close in prayer. God, we thank you this morning for this truth. The truth that we have the shield of faith. Faith really in the shield. Faith in the person and the work of who God is. His promises. His person. Character. His, his, his attributes. He is faithful. He'll never leave us or forsake us. May we hide behind that truth. May we hide behind the truth that, that he loves us. He, he, he always will love us. May we hide behind the truth that, uh, that we don't have to fear because he gave us not the spirit of fear. There's just so much that, that is racing through our minds as believers right now. Truths and promises that we know that we can hide behind because of who God is. And so we pray this morning that you would encourage our hearts with that. Would you? Spirit, I pray that for my brother or my sister that's, that's either watching this online or hearing this somewhere or sitting here today, I pray if, they're, if they're, they feel defeated or discouraged, depressed, all of these different things that our feels, our affections, I pray, God, that you would raise them up. Spirit, work in their hearts and know that they can stand against the schemes of the devil, that they can fight this war and not retreat. So would you... And, freshly encourage us today. Help us to know and to, and to re rejoice that there is no sting from death, that death has not won, that death has not conquered, that sin and, and all of its consequences has not won. And so encourage us, I ask today, and then help us to, help us to continue to stand. We do have to take up. There is our part. We have to take up. So help us to do that, we ask, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Church, may the Lord be with you and bless you this week. I'd love to talk with you if you need to talk. Let's just talk about Jesus. Let's get some coffee if you need to. Uh, my time is your time. But have a great week. I love you all, and we'll see you.